bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your grace and mercy toward us. Uh, we're overwhelmed by your patience and your gentleness, the way your love operates in grace each and every day, despite our failures and weaknesses. We ask, Father, that you help us be more and more thankful for just simply who you are in this way and the way you always treat us in love, even when it involves discipline. We're very grateful, Father, that you are a perfect Father and help us trust more and more that you know what's best. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and giving him up for us at the cross, proving your love beyond a shadow of a doubt for us. We ask that your Spirit guide this message, help us be humble in heart, and receive what your Word states, so that we can allow your truth to set us free, as you intended. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. Okay, once again, American Dating is a Counterfeit, Part 3. So I want to start with two things, um, just two general statements. This series is not about the past. It's about the future. So don't get hung up too much on past failures, um, past regrets, blah, blah, blah. Really, this is about freedom going forward. As uh, Philippians 3 says, reaching forward to what lies ahead. So this is not about the past. This is about the future and how to properly look at things for our own freedom and the freedom of others. Secondly, this series is about freedom from slavery. Freedom from slavery. There aren't many sins other than sexual sins that really put us in chains, that really make us slaves in our minds, in our hearts, physically, etc. Um, it really does dominate people's lives, take over people's lives, and um, keep them from bringing glory to God for sure. So I want to start with this principle on the board. We are master justifiers. Amen? We're so good at this, it's scary how good we are at justifying. We have mastered this art, even though it's evil. And it's all simply from pride and arrogance. Why do we justify to begin with? What does that even mean? It means when you see something's right over there, you try to twist it just a little bit so it meets your standards or your desires. So it's pride and arrogance that makes us justify, and our first step is to recognize it, to admit that we do this, call ourselves out, if you will. And in our arrogance, what's funny is we not only talk ourselves into certain things as being okay, we also try to talk the Lord into it. You ever done that? I mean, you have kind of a conversation with him, you know, <laughs> almost persuading him that such and such is not such a bad thing. So this topic of American dating being a counterfeit is going to strike a chord with many people. It's going to pluck a nerve, threatening to interrupt their life, 
what they want to hold on to, as if, as if it's their life at all to begin with, which it's really not. And they'll be challenged to be humble and repent of certain things, or they'll strike back with arrogance, choosing denial and self-justification. But again, on the board, we must admit we are master justifiers and recognizing that is the first step to freedom. So be reminded of the inside agent of the flesh. The flesh is the one that justifies things that are ungodly. Um, He's leading us, the flesh, I say he, the flesh is leading us on a regular basis to justify self. Once again, it's back to self. You know, what I do, what I want to do is not that bad because A, B, and C, which are not found in the scripture. So be aware of the inside agent, the one who's whispering in your ear to tell you to justify certain things about yourself. Once again, what we have on the board is a battle between humility and arrogance. You know, it's like a match, in the, a cage match. Humility and arrogance going at each other. The key to the spiritual life, the key to living for God without reservation, and literally we could take that to mean reserving some things for self, the key to living for God without reserving some things for self is humility. It's the only way out of that prison. And if you don't have it, pray for it. Pray for it hard, alone with the Lord. Even through this series on dating, God is trying to set us free. That's what he's trying to do. As difficult as these principles may be for some of you, as old-fashioned as they might seem to some of you, it's really just being objective. What is American dating like? What, what are the characteristics that are accepted? What does the Word of God say? And what does God want us to do in these areas? It's really that objective, comparing the facts, if you will. And your Heavenly Father loves you so much he wants the best for all of us he want, I mean of course he wants the best for all of us the counterfeits in this world which American dating are bringing on or spurring on they end in ruin so this is just God telling us listen I want the best for you you're going down that path over there that I know the end the pit that you're going to fall in at the end of that path I'm trying to pull you back I want you to be free I don't want you to go into those chains and that's really this, what this whole series is about. But if you stay arrogant and resist the Spirit's instructions, which have been proven out in God's Word, as, as we've seen in the series, then you'll have negative consequences in your life that lead to misery. Misery. It starts off with sin giving you pleasure for a season, and it ends in misery and shackles and chains. On the board, understanding consequences. It's true, we can make whatever decisions we desire in life. God gave us free will, after all. However, since no thought or deed goes unnoticed by Him, everything we ever do will be judged. We saw this in Ecclesiastes 11.9, Matthew 5.16, 1 Corinthians 3.11-15, uh, chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and Revelation 22.12. Something that came out on Sunday is that both the blessings 
and the discipline in life, they're God's judgments in time. Both the blessings and the disciplines in this life are God's judgments in time. Just as Scripture clearly says, every man will reap what he sows, we must admit that God can't be fooled, not in the slightest bit. And these are all warnings from our gracious God. These are all warnings about discipline, about reaping what you sow. Our loving Father is alerting us to not follow the trap of the world, including the ways of modern American dating, which go totally against his wishes. We should be pretty convinced of that already with all the scripture we've seen in the last two lessons. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 6, verse 7. And let's see how this passage applies to the selfish acts of American dating, let's say. Galatians 6, 7. Again, these are all gracious warnings from a loving father. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, doesn't that describe, you know, the selfish parts of American dating? The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, i.e. unselfishly living for God's will, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. That includes relationships, even friendships. Let us not lose heart in doing good, obeying God's Word, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary, and we'll reap good fruit, healthy fruit, real blessings. So in verse 10, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Think of dating in a respectful way that puts the other person's good first. The other person's good first, which it says in verse 10. Do good to all people, especially those of the household of the faith. Protect the souls of others and the bodies of others, especially believers. And you will reap if you don't grow weary. How we act and think in the area of dating will have repercussions. We will reap what we sow, and it will be corruption that we reap if we do things our own way, resulting in pain and misery. The Greek word for corruption in this verse, it means decay or ruin. Remember the series of lessons we had on how sin leads to death. Remember that? All sin leads to death. And there's a thing in the scriptures called sexual death. And I hope that idea scares some of you because that's a healthy fear for the judgment of God in our lives. These are things he's put in place these are results of, you know, sowing the wrong way, then we reap the wrong way. And these are things he's put in place as safety guards, as bumpers, if you will, on the path, as bumpers to get back on the path instead of jumping over it and leading yourself to ruin or corruption. 
So a big theme that came out on Sunday is what lifestyle choices do you make and accept in your life, especially regarding sexual sins? Whether you're, you're single or married, whether dating's the topic for you or not, we're talking about sexual sins. What lifestyle choices do you make and accept in your life? On the board, you and I have the freedom to live our own lives. But are the lifestyles that you approve for yourself hurting God and others? We do have the freedom, and God's going to allow certain decisions. But do the lifestyles you approve for yourself hurt God and others? A pretty clear, simple measuring stick. If they do, don't be deceived. There are repercussions to selfish living. And all of our actions will be taken into account one day. Turn again in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. Again, there are repercussions to selfish living. And all of our actions will be accounted for one day, even as believers who are saved. 1 Corinthians 3.11 for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Again, this is a reference to the Bema Seat Judgment for Believers. Verse 14, if any man's work, which he has built on it, remains through the fire, in other words, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, loss of reward in context. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So there are, are consequences to all of our decisions, both in this life and in heaven. There are judgments there are results of good and bad decisions, both in this life and in heaven. And turn to 2 Corinthians 5.10 to uh, pad this idea about the judgment seat. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. So it's pretty clear. Nothing we ever do goes, goes unnoticed by God. Nothing, right? Everything is going to be accounted for. And that should give us health, a healthy fear for God. You know? Remember Hebrews 4.13? On the board. Sorry, I missed that point for you. Hebrews 4.13 in the NIV. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Everything is laid bare to him whom, to whom we must give an account. So this is why, you know, God knows the end from the beginning, right? He knows what we're going to face. He knows uh, this accounting on this day. So part of God's grace is that he disciplines us when necessary. He's like, stop wasting your life in this area. You know, 
Let me bring you back on the road. And at times, it's harsh discipline that's needed. But it's totally out of love because he knows the end from the beginning. He's like, I want you to have a wonderful day on that day you meet me, on that accounting. You know, where you don't have any shame, as uh, 1 John, I think, indicates. Uh, a temporary shame of, of the things that you didn't do for God. All right, the things that cause loss in your life. So part of God's grace is that he disciplines us when necessary. This is his grace trying to get us back on the right road. His road is the only road of true blessing and freedom. Do you believe that? It's between you and the Lord, you know? His road is the only road of true blessing and freedom, not pseudo-blessings. Go to Revelation 22, verse 12. This is one passage that was in our previous point that we did not get to on Sunday about understanding consequences. Revelation 22, 12. Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Now think of this in context with our topic on American dating being a counterfeit. Everyone who loves and practices lying. Is not American dating and sexual sins involved with deceiving people? Lying to people? In subtle ways maybe? So that they can get what they want? So this passage is a description of what unbelievers do as a lifestyle. If someone lives life in a sinful abandon with no conscience bothering them at all, that's a sign their heart hasn't been changed and that they're not in Christ. So don't live like unbelievers who are described in this passage being outside the uh, city gates. And examine your heart before God if necessary, if your conscience is not guiding you. As came out on Sunday, God simply wants us as his children, as believers, he wants us to grow up. Stop acting like children. Stop acting like the horny teenager that does whatever he wants to do or lies however he wants to lie to get what he wants. Like, we're, we're, we're adults now, right? And we're his adults, we're his children and representing him at all times. So God's like, grow up. Make the decision to grow up. It's a simple choice, isn't it? Because it's changing perspective. It's saying objectively, honestly, I'm, I've been wrong in that area, so I'm going to grow up. I'm going to change. I'm going to come over here and act like a man of God or woman of God that brings him honor and glory. I'm done. It's a decision. It's a perspective change, and it's a decision. God is giving us the truth right now about sexual sins, He's saying if we follow him and stop being selfish, that true life awaits. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that true goodness awaits when you follow him in his ways? Even in the areas that you are clinging on to, that you haven't dropped yet. Do you believe true goodness awaits? Not another form of goodness that you've been trying to chase and never fulfills. So here's where we started on Sunday on the board in Ecclesiastes 11.9. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of, of young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. This is Solomon speaking from his old age. And remember, he learned an awful lot from his own mistakes with sexual sins. I mean, he was horrible in his own failures and sexual sins. And now as an old man, he's saying to young men, don't do what I did. Know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things that you know are against God's ways. So we talked about on Sunday the gift of satisfaction. Or, you know, you might look at it as contentment. The gift of satisfaction. True satisfaction is a gift from God. It can only come from God. If we charge through life with sinful abandon, we risk ruin, corruption, sexual death even. There are many things to enjoy in life, but they must be enjoyed in faith and obedience by God's ways. Our Lord wants us to be blessed in this life in every area, but true blessings and true happiness only come on His terms. So if, you're, if you've been stubborn, you know, in whatever area of your life where you stay in your, on your own terms, where you hold on to certain things that you're not willing to drop. Well, you should expect misery. You shouldn't expect true blessing in that area of your life. Think about it. God's the giver of life, right? He's called the maker of heaven and earth. He's called the giver of life. He knows how life works best. He knows how this thing called life works successfully uh, to have true goodness and true happiness. But on our terms, we produce misery. I mean, how many times do we need to disobey and fail before we're humble enough to stop living on our own terms? How many times? I mean, and again, we don't want to look, for, we don't want to look backward. <laughs> look forward. We don't want to look backward and start counting all of our mistakes. and you know. But we should uh, laugh at this laugh at our mistakes, laugh at how stupid we've been, and let's learn from the lesson, how it never works out on our own terms. And let's reach forward to what lies ahead. So hopefully, you're all coming along in your own souls, seeing that American dating is truly a counterfeit. We've been seeing a lot of scripture as evidence that American dating includes a lot of things that are wrong in our Father's eyes period. On the board, the Bible on sexual sins. Sex and even sexual thoughts are grace gifts from God, if and only if they're between a husband and wife. Otherwise, they are fleshly. The disclaimer is, do not confuse temptation with sins of the flesh. Just because you've been tempted doesn't mean you're sinning. Okay, it's when you give in to temptation that it becomes sinful. 
So again, on the board, sex and even sexual thoughts are grace gifts from God, if and only if they're between a husband and wife. Otherwise, they are fleshly. So we'll all be tempted, uh, even daily, but we have a choice whether you accept it or run away from that temptation. It's when a person gives in to a temptation that they commit a sin against God. So on the board, if you're not married, then anything that produces impure and or immoral thoughts or actions ought to be hacked out of your life. As we saw on Sunday, the Lord said, if you thunk it, you done it. Right? That's God's perspective. Why is that? Think about why is that? Because God looks at the heart. God judges the heart. God looks at the heart. The heart is what he's after. The heart is what the heart is the real person. So if you thunk it, you done it. If you've given in to lust, let's say, towards a certain person, you've committed that sin. Why? Because your heart is the real you. Now you can compound that sin by doing physical sin, and that makes it even worse on yourself. You know, you reap what you sow. But the point is, we got to hack out of our lives whatever's, whatever's dragging us down into impure or immoral thoughts. Because if you think it, you've done it. So take the point on the board literally and seriously. When this statement was first made last Thursday, God revealed something in my life that was tempting me and bringing me down. So I decided to get rid of it. And you can too. It's an objective recognition and decision about what's dragging you down or tempting you. So then uh, you'll be free if you hack it out of your life, so to speak. Go again to Matthew 5.27. Let's see our Lord's words again regarding this. I love, you know, when you come across, I don't really love this, you know what I mean? When you come across people, particularly they seem to be of a certain religious denomination around here, who think they're a good person. And they'll kind of jump up and down saying, I've never done this, I've never done that, I've never done this. Well, if you want to take them to this passage, you know, you can show them that you're guilty even when you just think it. So Matthew 5, 27 Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her. Where? In his heart. God looks at the heart. This is a verse where Jesus confirms that principle again to us. Again, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then look at the strong example Jesus gives next, verse 29. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That's how seriously God looks at this situation or this habit, especially if it's a lifestyle. So on the board, what you see and touch 
in Matthew 5, 27 through 30, Jesus addresses sins of the eye and sins of the hand, both of which are evil and evidence for judgment. This disproves the thought that only physical sexual activity is sin, which is what American dating promotes, even from a Christian perspective. You know, forget the world for a minute, because they don't even think anything's a sin, necessarily. But even the Christian would say, as long as I don't have sexual intercourse, you know, as long as I don't go all the way, then, you know, I'm not breaking God's law. I'm not breaking God's ways. But this passage disproves the thought that only physical sexual activity is sin. Remember, remember here, Jesus was talking about lustful thoughts to start in the heart, not physical sexual acts. So anything that causes you to sin in either of these ways ought to be simply cut out of your life. That's Jesus' message. So let's be honest and practical instead of rationalizing and justifying the things we do. Let's just be honest and practical. Be objective. Take the emotion out of it, step back, and say, what are the facts of the case? What does the Word of God say? What does American dating say? And you find that they collide all over the place, if you're honest. On the board, is God glorified when you defile the holy temple that is your body? Is God glorified when you're an emotional basket case because of your sexual sins? Is God glorified when godly love is supplanted by some worldly counterfeit? These are just a few examples of the things that American dating leads people to fall into and has chains on the hands and feet in these ways. Remember the verse on the board in 1 Corinthians 10.31b, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. As the Spirit pointed out to us, don't rationalize and say you don't need to make changes because you're doing, quote-unquote, pretty good. Nine out of ten things, I'm, I'm doing good, I'm following God. So I'm going to ignore that one out of ten thing because I, I can't be perfect, right? <laughs> Talk about justification. Of course you're not going to be perfect, but is that the right mental attitude? Is that the right divine perspective on the issue? No, of course not. So don't rationalize. I mean, I did this for years, and I was just fooling myself. That's all you're doing is fooling yourself. So on the board, do all, the, all to the glory of God. This means everything, not just certain parts that give you the ability to point and say, See, I do this or that to the glory of God. Holy Scriptures say do all to the glory of God. That's the objective and therefore the godly, godly mindset. In other words, don't lie about the godly mindset. Don't justify or fabricate what you say is the godly mindset in the matter. God's viewpoint is do all to the glory of God. We won't be perfect but be objective. Be honest on what the mind of Christ says. Don't use the cop-out, I do enough here and there, so that justifies me to knowingly disobey my Lord in another area. Again, this is about freedom. This isn't about judgment. This isn't about um, 
living in legalism. This is about freedom. This is God being honest with us, saying these things are traps. These things are going to handcuff you. These things are going to make you an emotional basket case. These things are going to uh, skew your vision so you don't see the light, so you don't see the truth, so you don't see the true blessings down the road. You're going to be blinded. You're going to have some fog in front of your face, in your heart even. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5.21. 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Just to pad the idea of doing all to the glory of God. But examine everything carefully. Notice that. Examine everything carefully. Some of you might be saying, this is overboard. Aren't we over-examining this dating thing, and can't we just relax a little bit? No, the Bible says examine everything carefully. Is, is this part of my life and these different parts of that part of my life, as I break it down, are these things good or bad? Are they godly or ungodly? Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Every. Not, not some. Not like if your point system outweighs, you know, the good outweighs the bad, and you, you just relax and be like, eh, God doesn't really care about that other area. Abstain from every form of evil. That's the mindset. That's the proper godly way to think about it. How do you know if something's sinful or evil? You might say. Well, on the board, remember Romans 14, 23, part C, whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. And you, between you and the Lord, you decide if what you're doing or thinking, etc., is from faith or not. So the Spirit's been telling us repeatedly, when it comes to sexual temptations, flee, run away, like Joseph did in the Old Testament. Joseph didn't stay there and try to have a rational conversation with the temptress. How do you do that? Is that going to be successful? He ran away and right away because he didn't want to sin against his Lord. Joseph knew he was weak. And if anyone was a spiritual man, it was Joseph. If anyone obeyed God and loved God and was humble, it was Joseph. But he knew he was weak. So he fled. So let's look at this situation as a good visual aid for what we should do and we can do as we encounter different things or maybe put ourselves in the wrong situation. Go to Genesis 39, verse 6. Genesis 39, 6. And I want you to also notice Joseph's heart here. God looks at the heart, and Joseph had a pure one. Genesis 39, 6. And we'll start in the, the, second, the last half of uh, verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. 
How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Notice he didn't even say sin against my master, that the, the guy Potiphar, right, the wife's husband. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me, which really means have sex with me. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. It should be three things you see there about fleeing immorality. He left his garment in her hand. Did he, did he battle her for it? Did he start getting into a tug of war and you know, become this, some playful thing that gets him in trouble? I mean, that's good in marriage. That's great in marriage. But did he like play with fire? Nope. He left his garment. Who knows? Maybe the garment wasn't that expensive. I don't know. But he left right away. He's like, I don't, I don't need that. I'm out of here before I get caught. So number one, he left his garment. Number two, he fled. Fled. <laughs> that doesn't mean walk away. That means run away, right? And then he went outside. He left the whole house. And it's probably a pretty big house for this master that he was serving. He went outside. He took off as if, you know, his clothes were on fire. He took off. And that's the mental attitude that we need to develop as believers about sexual sins. Like, like fire. There's even a verse, I forget what it is in the Old Testament, about playing with fire relating to sexual sins. But let's take a lesson from Joseph's spiritual book, if you will. His playbook. This is recorded in Scripture for us as a wonderful example. And it even happened 3,000 years ago. Go figure. Sexual sins have haunted the human race ever since the fall in the garden. And what's the solution, as pastors told us? Not figure it out, not rationalize, not discuss it. Get the heck out of there as quickly as possible. Leave your garment behind if you have to. So we're told in the New Testament to simply flee from youthful lusts. Be smart and humble like Joseph. He did not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, did he? If anyone could have, it was someone like Joseph. He was a mature man. He was a humble believer and follower of God. He feared God with a beautiful fear and awe. And he didn't even think more highly of himself than he ought to think. So the one who fears God will obey God. And that God says the best thing to do is get the heck out of tempting situations as quickly as possible. Run. Go again to uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. 2 Timothy 2, 22. The one who fears God will obey God. And that God and Father who wants the best for us says, run, flee from temptation when you're in, a, in that situation. 2 Timothy 2.22 Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. I want you to notice both verbs here refer to running. They don't refer to walking. 
flee from youthful lust, so run away from youthful lust, and pursue righteousness. That means run after, right? Pursue righteousness. You know, I was thinking if, if you were to look at, a, look at it like a, a situation or a play or a movie, right? And the guy's in a situation like Joseph had. Well, Joseph literally takes off, okay? So you're fleeing from the youthful lust that's going to trap you. And where are you running to? Maybe you're running to a wise old sage down the street for support to tell your story to or to, or to be like, help me, give me some perspective here, right? Because what does it say? It says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Run after those things with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You might, you might actually need to go to someone that you consider you know, spiritual or, or someone that you look up to spiritually as an example or whatever. You might actually run to them. What's it say? With those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So you might do that all in one action, if you know what I mean. Flee your youthful lust and run to righteousness. Run to maybe even someone else with a pure heart for God. So on the board, flee from youthful lusts. God tells us to abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Romans 12, 9b. He's telling us to run away from youthful lusts, impure sexual thoughts, for example, Remember, sins begin as thoughts. Avoid impurity is the gist, and do all to the glory of God. Pretty simple, isn't it? This is not rocket science. You know, a 10-year-old kid could obey these commands. You mean flee that and run to that? Okay. And isn't that the faith of the child that we're supposed to do instead of rationalizing and justifying like we're so good at? So on the board, if what you're thinking, saying, or doing doesn't bring glory to God, then stop it. Cut it out, literally. Hack it out of your life. Change your lifestyle in some way so that you, you don't have to go back to that part of your life. And we saw the same word, flee, also in 1 Corinthians 6.18. Go to 1 Corinthians 6.18 quickly. So we've already been told to flee from youthful lusts. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18, it says flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. On the board, the word flee is from fuego, to escape, to flee, to run away. Same Greek word as used in 2 Timothy 2, 22, Flee from youthful lusts. Only here Paul uses a different word, immorality. Flee from immorality. On the board we saw the word immorality in the Greek is from porneia, derived from pernao, which means to sell off. Properly a selling off or surrendering of sexual purity. Or promiscuity of any and every type, where we get the English word porno from, which is the root for pornography. Selling off. I mean, think of a prostitute. They literally sell off their purity for money. Okay? But we also sell it off when we get involved in sexual sins willingly. And um, we're selling off something very uh, precious. Very, uh, very virtuous. 
So on the board, are you justifying what you watch? When we watch pornography or even movies that give in to pornography within the movie, we are entertaining things that our Lord hates and we're selling off our virtue bit by bit. God's like, I got plans for you. I got great blessings for you. Blessings that go beyond your imagination. But if you sell off your virtue, I can't give it to you. I can't. For several reasons. Again, on the board, are you justifying what you watch? When we watch pornography or even movies that give in to pornography within the movie, we are entertaining things that our Lord hates and we are selling off our virtue bit by bit. You might as well be like Esau, who sold the blessings of the firstborn, which, by the way, were double blessings. He sold the blessings as the firstborn, the inheritance of a kingdom from his father for a bowl of porridge. And it's really a perfect example of what we do when we sell off our bodies or or even our hearts with sexual sins. When you surrender to sexual sins, it's like accepting a bowl of soup in place of the best blessings your Heavenly Father wants to give you. And there's no comparison, obviously. And don't think you're too old for this or you're, you know, you're past that or I'm never getting married again and blah, 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 blah. Stop putting limits on God. Stop putting boundaries on God. You don't know what he has for you the rest of your life. You have no idea. I don't either. So stop, you know, trading a bowl of soup for your virtue. When your virtue might come in handy one day. I don't want to make it sound cheap, but your virtue might, might need to be there one day for something God wants to give you that he couldn't give you unless you had your virtue. I don't know what it could be. But stop selling off your virtue. There's no comparison in value. Don't allow Satan's traps and the world's view on dating to drag you away from your Heavenly Father because that's what it's doing, really. And your Father can only let you go so far without discipline and judgment being necessary to save your life, maybe even. So again, in 1 Corinthians 6.18, In your Bible, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And remember, Just because you didn't have some form of physical intercourse doesn't mean you had a pure heart in the matter. And God's always after the heart. On the board, again, in 2 Timothy 2.22, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. As we saw on Sunday, the pure heart is a two-way street. And it involves the tempted and the tempter. So let's be honest here, right? On the board, facts about a pure heart. It is defiled when lust gives birth to sin, as in James 1.15. It's a sin to fall prey to temptation. That's pretty clear in the scripture. 
How about it's a sin to prey on others through temptation? Think about the idea of preying on others. Isn't that gross? Like, isn't that, that should make you cringe a little bit, that you might be involved in or have been involved in preying on other people for selfish gain. And yet it's often ignored by justifying the sin and blinded by selfishness, selfish arrogance. And both men and women do this. A woman goes to the mall in a halter top two sizes too small for her. Right? It's true. (laughs) Hoping to get some attention and even to control men. Right? And then she calls the guy staring at her a pervert when she's the one that set the trap. Now, they're both wrong. They're both wrong. They're both living in a form of sin. Right? Sexual sin. But <laughs> there's the tempter and the, the tempted, and both are sinful. You've got a man who brings a single, single woman into an expensive restaurant and uses wine and song to seduce her. So much for an innocent dinner. They're both in the wrong, the tempter and the tempted, for giving in. Both have defiled their bodies, possibly, or at least defiled their hearts if living in lust. But here's the question I want to end with this message tonight. Is that how true love acts? Because people will do these things in the name of love. And men will even tell women they love them when they don't even know their last name, right? At that fancy dinner. All for selfish sexual gain. So is that how true love acts? Unfortunately, women are deceived in this world by this all the time as being love. But true love is totally different. On the board, regarding a pure heart. True love, the love of God, puts others ahead of self. Not self ahead of others. That's true love. That's true love. If you want like a statement to tell your teenage granddaughter or grandson, true love puts others ahead of self, not behind self, not self ahead of others. That's God's love. Totally opposite the ways of the world, isn't it? Totally opposite. So we see this in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6. Turn there. And also in Ephesians 5, 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. True love, the love of God, puts others ahead of self, not self ahead of others. A great measuring stick to see if somebody really loves you or cares about you or they're playing a game. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. And love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, which is a lot of what goes on in American dating today. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. On the board, we saw the word for unbecomingly from askemoneo, from the Strong's Concordance. It means to act improperly, unseemly, to behave unbecomingly or even dishonorably, perhaps to consider something unseemly.
Improper actions often start off with improper speech or even nonverbal suggestions. All these things could be considered acting unbecomingly. And regarding physical activity for the ladies this time, go to 1 Timothy 2, verse 9 again. It's like a tennis match. Well, ladies, men, ladies, men, ladies, men. Oh, we're all guilty, maybe in different ways, but we're all guilty. 1 Timothy 2, 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. Now keep in mind, back in the ancient world, dressing this way was like wearing the halter top two sizes too small. All right? So don't get freaked out by this description in verse 9 as being crazy today. It's not necessarily what you wear, though. It's how you wear it. It's what scent you're putting off. All right? For lack of a better analogy. Are you, are you using your garments to attract and lead others into temptation? Or are you using them to, to look uh, respectful, beautiful, and humble? The same things could be worn, possibly. I don't know about the halter top, two sizes too small, but, you know, <laughs> the braided hair, the gold, the pearls, the costly garments. How do you wear those things? Are they suggestive or are they just humbly held on to? Um, this was considered flaunting sexuality in the ancient world, as we'll see in another passage coming up. On the board, we saw on Sunday, modestly and discreetly. Modestly means with humility, avoiding the shame of attracting attention to oneself in a way that doesn't bring glory to God. Discreetly refers to self-control over sexual passions, not wishing to lead others into temptation. So as believers, we must turn our eyes to God's thoughts on these matters. As the world will largely remain in deceit, not knowing the thoughts of God yet. But as believers, we must turn our eyes to God's thoughts on these matters. Again, in 1 Timothy 2.9, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 3, verse 16. Here's another example of, it's not necessarily what you wear, it's how you wear it. Isaiah three sixteen. Moreover, the Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are proud, and walk with heads held high and seductive eyes, and go along with mincing steps, and tinkle the bangles on their feet. Therefore the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs, and the Lord will make their foreheads bare. Again, it's not necessarily what you wear, it's how you wear it. Are you flaunting it? Are you using it as a sexual temptation? And it goes on further, if you want to read not right now, but later on, read further in this chapter about these flirtatious, temptress women being judged and reaping what they sow even more. But again, if we just follow God's laws, which are for our own good, 
we're going to be blessed. If we rebel and ignore these types of lessons, we should expect negative consequences and even judgment to come in our lives. But the Spirit's not letting us off the hook in any area. He's talking about every part of this sexual sin thing, um, beyond the physical acts, verbal influences, innuendos, suggestiveness. They can all lead to temptation and falling into immorality and falling away from God's highest and best for you. Go again to Ephesians 5, verse 3. Ephesians 5, 3. As I pick a spot. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. You want to fill your mouth with something? Fill your mouth with giving of thanks. But why was this said in verses 3 and 4? Why was it said, you know, put immorality away from you, don't even name it among you? Because it was stated in context as the opposite of walking in love. Look at verse um, 1. Ephesians 5, 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Again on the board, true love, God's love, puts others ahead of self. What did Jesus do in verse 2? He walked in love. He loved you and gave himself up for you. He put you ahead of him. True love. So the conclusion of all this really for tonight is that living in the love of God will solve all your problems, even with sexual sins. Living in the love of God will solve all your problems with any sin. On the board, regarding a pure heart, just learn to live in God's love and the temptations will wash away. You'll defeat them, not by keeping your eyes on the temptations themselves, but by keeping your eyes on God and His amazing love. If you live in God's love, you will defeat whatever your problems are. Again, just learn to live in God's love, and the temptations will wash away. You'll defeat them, not by keeping your eyes on the temptations themselves, but keeping your eyes on God and His amazing love. Matthew 22.40 and Galatians 5.14. Let's close with Galatians 5, verse 13 and 14. A pure heart we're after, right? How do we get this pure heart? How do we stop falling into the same sins over and over? Well, love. Live in God's love, which puts others ahead of self. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Think about that verse in, the, in light of sexual sins and American dating. You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Self-gratification, 
but instead through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You want to fulfill the whole law? You want to stop committing adultery? You want to stop being jealous of others or coveting what others have? Love your neighbor as yourself. Simple. It's, it's like the all-powerful solution. The love of God. It never loses. It's our, our free will if we decide to live in it or not and continue to learn about God's love or not. So in closing, we don't need to focus on defeating our demons. Don't keep your eyes on the sexual sins or the, the things that you're failing in. Flee, which means you turn your back on it right there, right? You're running away from it. And keep your eyes on God's love. Focus on God's love. You don't need to focus on defeating your demons. Just focus on the love of God. Whatever your demons are, whether it's sexual sins or fear and worry or whatever, the love of God is what can defeat them all. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your truth, for your wonderful blessings, your wonderful perspective on the true way to look at life and blessings. We thank you most of all for your love, Father, which is the perfect example of the true way to live life, the only way to freedom and happiness. Father, help us learn more about your love and believe your love and obey your love and love others as we love ourselves. Help us, Father, be humble and accept all these principles you're giving us. Help us not fall in line with the way the world thinks about these things, but help us to humbly obey your word and watch you work in our lives. Help us bring these truths out, Father, to a lost and dying world that need it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.